Coconut LaCroix. Well, welcome. Welcome to the Best Movie Ever podcast. My name is Joel Rafey. My name is Sarah Mullins. And today we're going to be comparing uh, Chicago. Is it 2002 Chicago? God, I'm the host of a movie podcast. I don't even know when the fucking movie came out. And 1929's Broadway Melody. Not to be confused with 1945's Broadway Melody. (laughs) Or there's like five of them out there. But 1929, that's the one we watched. Do we know, I feel like we should have re- researched this beforehand, do we know if the 1945 Broadway Melody is is like the same plot or if it's a completely different movie? We're adamant professionals here and I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first one we watched uh, was the Broadway Melody and um, it was the first, uh, the first talkie to win an uh, Academy Award uh, or Best Picture, I should say. Uh, prior to that, Wings was the uh, the very first Best Picture winner, and that was um, a silent film about planes. I think we haven't seen that one yet. No, that's that's for later. That's on. coming. Uh, but this is the Broadway Melody. It was the second Best Picture to win ever, and boy, I don't even know if you could consider this one a movie. <laughs> well, okay, it has a main character. I'm not sure. It doesn't follow the traditional hero's journey in any sense of the word. Um, it is staged more like a play than anything else. They had some interesting ideas, I thought, because the, the movie opens with uh, this kind of, uh, I think his name is Eddie, the main yes, character? Eddie, Eddie. Eddie's Eddie. singing the title song Yeah, yeah. in the it, first scene. He walks into his office, and it's sort of a cacophony of, of uh, sound. There's like people practicing for this or that everywhere in the office, and he's, he seems to be like a composer of, of Broadway music. And you'd think if that, that scene was shot today, it would play a little bit better. But my ears were bleeding after the first, like, 30 seconds of this movie start. Yeah, it, the song is not a good song. I would not characterize it as being a good, fun musical number. No, and it is the Broadway melody. That's the first actual song we hear without, you know, the three, four other songs playing in the background. And it's fine, but... The, the movie opens with it, and then you hear it no less than five other times mm-hmm. over the course of it. And we watched the trailer to this thing, and it looked like a musical. Like, you're going to get 10, 12 songs in this thing. Well, it's not like you're... I mean, you look at, at uh, West Side Story and Sound of Music, which are both other um, musical Academy Award winners, and it has, I want to say, two separate songs... In the entire yeah, film. There, uh, well, there's the Broadway melody, and then we'll get to it later. There's a Roman number. Uh, I don't recall the number. Oh, yeah. So it might be three songs. Uh, there's the that. Roman number, which I can't be sure if they were speaking English during. Uh, I don't know if it was the mix quality on the, the movie itself, but uh, it sounds fucking terrible. It just sounded like like 20 people muttering. <laughs> and then, and then of course, our lead, uh, one of our leads is standing on the bow of a ship during this. Um, but it is, it is freakishly bad. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to say overall, there's, very, there's, there's a ton of elements of this film that are freakishly terrible, but not, uh, n- not unfunny. 
It's, Everything freakishly terrible in this film is also quite hilarious to a modern audience, I'd say. It's sort of hard to, like, it's hard to pin, pinpoint whether it's about Broadway or if it's about vaudeville or both. It's I'm, I'm a little unclear. Well, uh, let's let's get into the plot, uh, because it, the plot is is a little strange. Uh, Eddie, I keep wanting to call him Jimmy. Uh, I'll call him Jimmy at least one time during this. But Eddie has these two gals, these two sisters who he's friends with. Uh, and we learn more about them as it goes on. But, uh, but Ed- not very much at the same time. No, 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 no. They, well, they come in at like the maybe like the 15 minute mark of the movie. And then they're in pretty much every scene after that. But, but Eddie uh, has this song, the Broadway melody that he wants to get in. Zeke Fields. Is it Zeke Fields? It's not. I want to say it's not Zeke but it's a similar name. Zanfield. Yes. Zanfield. He wants to get into Zanfield's musical. Uh, and it's a fine song, but even like this, the, the moment where he performs it for Zanfield, he's just like, eh, it's okay. Uh, he, even he doesn't really give a shit about it, but, but he goes to pitch it, I guess, to these two, um, these two women, one of which is his current girlfriend. Yes. uh, Hank. Hank. And, uh, Queenie. As Uh, as Hank's sister. Yeah. So he goes to see the two sisters. And I guess Queenie, I, like, I wouldn't say that, uh, Queenie, the actress apparently was a, was a very, uh, like it's considered to be very attractive, well, she was uh, thought to be the most attractive... Silent uh, film star. Yes. Yes. And uh, that just sort of plays out throughout this entire movie. There, there's so many times where uh, actors are just like, oh my God, she's so beautiful. She's the most beautiful woman. You sort of just see every single time the one of the male, male characters sees her for the first time, their face just perks up like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh she's beautiful. I'd like, I'd like to do things to her. And, and oh, the things characters try to do to these poor, poor girls. I, I believe the, the first time we see them, a busboy comes in and, and they do a trick to not have to tip the busboy. In that same scene, we also get a very weird kiss between the two sisters that goes on a little bit too long. Yeah. And there's a lot of kisses in this movie that go on a little bit too long. There's some subtext there that I don't know if they really intended. Well, it... I thought, uh, because we don't explicitly uh, see that they're sisters or hear that they're sisters in the beginning, so I thought, oh my God, are we, are we, we're getting like two lesbian lovers in this 1929 movie. This was a little risque. It was, I mean, for, for a movie of that time period, I was a little excited because I was like, oh, they were really lawless before some strange laws came into town. But instead of, uh, but instead of the Broadway lesbians... I would call this one the Broadway threesome yes. because uh, the moment uh, Eddie walks in, he kisses both of them, both of them directly on the lips. He goes to Hank, his girlfriend, and then he goes to Queenie and kisses Queenie just as long, if not longer than than Hank. Well, he has that same look when he first sees her like, oh, she's she's all grown up now and I want a piece of that. Yeah. And every time we cut to Queenie in one of these sequences, there's this sort of weird, like, Vaseline on the lens treatment the filmmakers have done, where it obviously cuts to a different camera with a different lens, and she's standing in a very different position than the last one we just saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it must have been, like, a, a stylistic motif at the time, but it's incredibly jarring 
that when uh, anytime Eddie would stare at her, it would just get this sort of dreamlike Vaseline wiped on the lens uh, effect. But but so he basically goes, I can get you in this musical. You have to come down and sing for Zanfield and you'll get in no questions asked. What happens immediately thereafter is a very strange cat fight at a piano between, I guess, another woman who Eddie knows and wants yeah, to get in. So I and think, then the two sisters. Yeah, she she comes back later, but um, she, I guess, wanted the part in the song in Broadway Melody originally uh, from the first scene where he sings it for the first time. And so I guess there's some some bad blood there. And uh, there's the, a bit of a catfight, and then uh, Zanfield like storms off. He's like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with this musical number. I don't want anything to do with these two girls. Uh, he storms off, and I believe it's well, Queenie uh, goes up to him, up to goes up to M- Mr. Zanfield. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically flashes a little bit of skin, and. Well, then, then she, like, leaves. She walks off. Uh, is, it must be Queenie, then. She goes, like, oh, I'll talk to Zanfield. And she walks off screen while Hank and Eddie are talking and comes back, like, 30 seconds later, like, we did it. We're in the show. And all I could think of and wrote down in my notes was, wow, that was the quickest blowjob ever. Yep. And then he, he says that the two gals are going to be in it. But then, actually, during the performance, during the dress rehearsal, they... They dance, and then Zanfield's like, no, 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 cut those broads out. We don't want them in there. So then it's just Eddie doing it, and uh, so presumably the girls aren't going to get a part in this fucking musical. Except that uh, Zanfield still likes Queenie. He thinks she's hot stuff. And, so... uh, and yeah, there's, there's a part that opens up very unexpectedly because a young woman is sitting on the, or standing on the bow of a ship, and without any anything to prompt it she just takes a dive off the top i i guess gets seriously injured or dies and then they're like oh shit we need a blonde now and then queenie gets a part in this musical um and oh boy does she act she she acts so good her part is to stand (laughs) on the bow of a ship and look pretty and do absolutely nothing for five minutes while 10 to 20 roman guys and like a harem of women sing the weirdest fucking song ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can't understand anything that they're saying. You don't know what's going on. Like, usually when you're watching, like, say, a, an opera that's in a different language, you can usually, from context clues, figure out what's happening in the opera, even if you don't know the language. But there was none of none of this. You could not fathom what was happening. Well, there was very little uh, movement, if any, during the, the song, I, I couldn't distinguish any real words. This was one of the first times I've ch- I checked out because in this film, I mean, it opens with these two girls taking a bath together and then kissing. And you're like, what the fuck is this 1929? And then and then you get to these uh, these like very slow musical numbers. And I thought for sure the musical numbers in the Broadway melody were going to be the, the best part. And they weren't. It was just the weird sexual tension between sisters. Okay, so I, I we've been talking a lot about the plot of this movie, and, mm-hmm. and and it's funny because there really isn't very much of it. There's a not not a lot there. The basic crux of the plot is basically that these two girls go to New York City. 
They want to get on Broadway as a double act. And Hank is very talented. Queenie's very pretty, basically. Uh, but we haven't we haven't brought up the I, I can't remember his name, but the shithole character. So every you know the classic rich douchebag Jacques. Jacques, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's French. Uh, Jacques, uh, Mr. Warner is his, uh, so it must Jacques be Jacques Warner. Warner, yeah. He is, he is the guy who is constantly trying to get with Queenie, and uh, and Eddie is going like, oh my God, Queenie, you can't possibly get with that guy, because I want to get with you, and I happen to be in a relationship with your sister right now, but but that's, that's fine, that's going to go away, you're going to be with me, not with Jacques, so there's all this like weird... Uh, these weird scenes where like, he's like, no, you can't be with that guy because, uh, uh, I, and then he doesn't say anything. Well, and, and, uh, Hank also says she shouldn't be with this guy, but it's for a pretty legitimate reason, considering that he literally just buys things for Queenie. And of course, as in the old world, uh, expects some, some output in return. I mean, he doesn't do anything terrible to anyone at first. So every every question about like oh you shouldn't go out with this guy you shouldn't hang out with him is is sort of just we just see it through uh, Eddie like wanting yeah. to get with Queenie himself so there really is nothing terrible he's doing to her except staring at her ass and buying her uh, a rose bush at one point um, but then there does come a scene where he does push himself on Queenie and you're like oh yeah well this guy's obviously a piece of shit Eddie goes to to try to save her gets punched and then thrown out in a very strange bit of uh, fight choreography uh, that where like the punch doesn't land, but yet he ends up being flung out the door. Uh, it's a very like theatrical moment. Eddie and Hank have been telling her that she shouldn't go on a date with this guy. She shouldn't, she shouldn't go out with him, blah, 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 blah. And finally she's like, no, I'm going to go out with him. There's nothing you can do to stop me. They're in the dressing room at the theater after everything. And uh, both Hank and Eddie are are upset that she's going. She go, she disappears, and Hank, who has fi- basically figured out that they're in love with each other, uh, sort of tells Eddie that he should go after Queenie and get her, and that uh, she doesn't love him. And then uh, immediately following Eddie running off to go rescue Queenie, you have probably the best acting in the entire movie, uh, where Hank reacts to Eddie leaving her, and you see that she clearly does love Eddie, but she's sacrificed her basically her entire life so that her sister can be happy. That that particular moment holds up even today. You're like, holy shit! Like this girl's pretty good. Uh, you don't really give a shit about any of the other characters at this moment because Hank is the only redeemable character in in it. Because she, she's strong. She's uh, clearly very the most talented character that is uh, in, the, in the movie. And she is the most empathetic and, and self-sacrificing. And you, you feel for her, whereas everybody else is um, one, rather one-dimensional, I would say. So, so Hank is the, the epitome of the protagonist in this. And she just kind of gets shit on in the end of it, too. Uh, because we just randomly cut at the end of the film to uh, Queenie and and uh, Eddie have come just come back from their honeymoon. Uh, honeymoon, and Hank is is just getting in a carriage about to leave town. Yeah, she's gonna go on the road. I guess where where was it that she was gonna be performing? 
Like Schenectady or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, it was like oh, it's better to be a, a, a star in Schenectady than, uh, than you know, a, a, a has-been in New York City. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so Hank just sort of gives up and leaves New York, and that is the last moment Shot, of yeah. the film. Yeah. It's the most depressing ending for the most redeemable character, and you're kind of left with, what are we supposed to feel about the end of this movie? It, it kind of gave me this weird, like, un, uneasy feeling uh, watching it. But I don't know if that was the intention of the filmmaker because um, because then it, like, the music uh, cues up and you see roaring Times Square where there's, everyone can be a star. But but then our, our main character is leaving because she's like, oh, I guess I couldn't make it here. Oops. The Broadway melody, uh, would you recommend anyone to watch it? It's 1929. You can you can rent it on uh, Amazon Prime or um, or like a PlayStation. I think we did Amazon Prime because it was a little bit cheaper. But but would you recommend anyone streams this movie? Uh, I think the only thing I would recommend is the uh, meme video you made of it. Uh, that's the oh we didn't even talk about the bracelet part. We didn't talk about it, but I'm bringing it up now because we can't not talk about it. There's a scene where uh, the actress. Uh, Bessie Love, who's the 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 blonde who plays um, Queenie. Queenie, she comes back after she's just seen Jacques, and they've gotten very drunk at a party, uh, where I I believe the Broadway melody plays in the background for at probably the fourth time at that moment uh, moment of the movie, and uh, she she for yes she walks uh, in stumbles in to the apartment where her and Hank are staying very drunkenly, very uh, Marx Brothers esque. And then walks up to the bed and goes like, hey, look what I got. And starts playing with her bracelet. And uh, it goes on far too long. Uh, I did an edit up of, of it that's on the channel of, uh, of it going just a little bit too far as she's just like drunkenly staring at it. As Hank just like glares at her from across the room like, you bitch. Uh, and then, yeah, the, uh, at the very end, uh, Queenie's just like, yeah, see this bracelet? That's class, that is. Uh, it is a ridiculous scene and one of the biggest laughs I've had watching a movie uh, on this show so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if only that, this movie gave me, like, tears streaming down my face laughter. Uh, I, I loved that part of it. If you were going to watch this movie with a group of friends who are all, like, film buffs... I would say you would have a great time watching it. Uh, you, if you turn it into a drinking game, yeah, absolutely. God, you take a shot every time you hear Broadway melody, your your ass is going to be on the floor by the end of it. Uh, I mean, if you were, I guess, if you were, if you were drinking with friends uh, and you were you wanted to have a good time, sure. If you if you were interested in seeing one of the first talkies, sure, go watch this movie. But it has a thirty five percent rating. On Rotten Tomatoes, this is the the lowest scored movie on on our show that we're gonna watch, and uh, and my God, it, I mean, it wasn't a prestige movie, like it wasn't Godfather, but um, but man, I didn't think they were gonna get this bad. It was it was real bad. I would there were so many parts where I mean there were little moments that I thought were really funny, um, unintentionally so, but. There were so many parts where I just completely checked out. I was so bored that, uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sit through it again. I don't think. 
Well, I, I wasn't bored so much until it, it randomly cuts to a, a, a play that one of them is in. It's probably um, uh, Eddie is in. And it cuts, to, it cuts from, like, action to this musical number at, like, maybe, like, the three-quarters of the way through the film. And I, I checked out right then at that part. But I was sort of um, giddy with how bad it was. And just every time something happened that you would never see in a film today, it just got me excited and really giddy. Uh, so I was, I was enjoying it for probably the first three quarters, and then I really checked out. I couldn't tell you what happened in this last, like, 30 minutes, uh, with the exception of, you know, the great scenes between um, Hank and Eddie. But, uh, no, overall, I wouldn't recommend seeing the Broadway melody. But if you want a good laugh and you're interested in seeing, like, a, a fun black-and-white movie, or you want to see, like, this great piece of uh, movie history, then, yeah, of course, go back and watch the film. Uh, I mean, we live in a time now where you can go on Amazon Prime and rent a movie from 1929 and watch it. Uh, whereas maybe, you know, 20 years ago, finding this movie would be a little difficult, I, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, I don't know where, like, you wouldn't... Like, if Amazon didn't exist, where you could order even a DVD copy of it or some, or something. I mean, there might not even even been DVD or, or VHS copies of it. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, we live in an era where you're able to actually go out and just sit down on your couch and watch a movie from 1929 uh, instantly. Uh, so that was uh, kind of a great realization I had just doing this series was all these movies are out there. Uh, you know, even if it's an old film, you can find it. Um, so I, <laughs> that was great. The realization that you can actually find this movie uh, in uh, 2019 and watch it with a couple drinks with your, your film buff friends uh, and, and have a good time. I, I had a good time overall. Uh, I wouldn't recommend watching it, but I had a pretty good time. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have. Uh, yeah, that pretty su pretty much sums it up. Yeah. A bit of trivia about the actress who plays uh, Hank. Uh, her name is Anita Page. She won, um, you know, we were talking about how great she was in that one scene. She won the Best uh, Actress Award this year. And uh, after this after this film came out, she was making a, uh, a $3,000 a... Uh, a week at MGM as part of like a stipend and all her other male co-stars were making uh, roughly a thousand dollars a week at the time. And I mean, uh, $3,000 a week in, uh, you know, 1930s is a shit ton of money. So this, this woman was making, you know, just baller money at the time and uh, about three times as much as any of her male counterparts. So, Hollywood definitely uh, loved Anita Page. She was in a ton of movies, too. She was um, in a couple with Clark Gable and Buster Keaton. And, um, and just at the time, one of, one of the, the highest paid uh, actresses on MGM's uh, roster and uh, died uh, very recently and just around here. Uh, she died in 2008 uh, at age 98 in uh, Van Nuys, California. So, um, so she, she lived a long uh, fruitful life, uh, was was very successful even in her later years in life, uh, did sort of a, a comeback and was in a bunch of horror films in like the the um, the early 2000s. All right, so our second movie this week was 2002's Chicago, which has a lot more music in it than the Broadway melody, I'll say that first of all. And uh, I was I was tapping my toes, I was snapping my fingers, 
I was singing all the songs after that movie was over. Um, it, was it a great movie? Uh, we'll see. But uh, but the the songs themselves are coming from a musical that has a, a huge, rich, rich history. Yes. So uh, the music, I mean, I I know and love Chicago as a, as a theater kid. I went to, uh, you know, a theater school and, and did musical theater a lot. Uh, and I must have, as a musical theater uh, boy, must have sang every single song that a, a male sings in this musical. Uh, auditions, I've, I've seen the fucking uh, cell block tango every year of my life. Some group of young women did it. Uh, so I I wasn't, uh, I went into this having seen it once before. I love the musical. And uh, and I, I, I can't say I love the entire movie, but I was uh, entertained enough. But I mean, I knew every song that was coming uh, coming up. So it wasn't, it wasn't the, it didn't blow my socks off or anything, but it was, uh, it was still very entertaining. What are your initial thoughts on Chicago? Well, I mean, as a kid, I grew up, I was not, I was, I, I dabbled in theater throughout uh, elementary, middle school and high school, but I wasn't, I, I didn't consider myself a theater kid. I was more of an art kid. And, um, but that said, I watched a ton of Disney movies. So like that was probably the closest thing to musicals I had encountered before seeing Chicago in like 2002. Uh, aside from like the big ones, which are like Sound of Music, Wizard of Oz, all that sort of stuff. So that was like the first time I'd seen a new musical come out. And um, I I remember loving the movie when it came out. I was obsessed with it. I watched it probably about a thousand times and I have the movie memorized by heart as a result. But uh, I think it, it ignited a love of musicals at the time uh, that I had not had before. And so I ended up exploring musicals even further after that. Well, I think uh, this particular musical has a couple big stars in it. Uh, it also was the, the first musical to win Best Picture uh, since... Oliver. So uh, that's, I mean, Oliver was in the late 60s. This is 2002. So it means a, a mass, uh, a big swath of time where no musicals won anything. And this movie, I'll give it, uh, opens very, very well. Uh, I thought Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones did a fantastic job in the roles. Uh, I also thought that uh, Richard Gere did a fine job. Not a great job, but it was fine. It was, for me, it was like, Oh look, Richard Gere can sing. That's fun, but uh, but I mean, you put any other person in that part, and it would have been the well, same performance to me. I would say that that Richard Gere, like all the other actors in the movie, I think offered a certain amount of nuance to the roles that they were playing. Uh, whereas Richard Gere, de you definitely felt more like he was playing just a an archetype or a caricature of of what um, the traditional smarmy lawyer who only wants money is going to be like. Whereas even Roxy and and like Velma Kelly are uh, undoubtedly bad people. You you can't. It's hard to root for any of them. Um, but both of those actresses do such a great job in those roles that you really love those characters and you want to see them at the end uh, beat their their mur respective murder charges and then be able to move on and and reclaim the the stage so to speak yeah I, 
I guess the entire thing does sort of come to a head when the two of them go like, I hate you, you hate me, but listen, if we sing together, they want to see two murderers sing together, and we could make a shit ton of money, and then it escalates to that one musical number, which is pretty much just a one-shot of them dancing simultaneously and singing, uh, and it's it's a great it's a great beat in the film. And right after that musical number, the movie's over. Uh, so that is the payoff of the entire thing is seeing this musical number that I believe Catherine Zeta Jones, uh, teases early on by trying to show, uh, Roxy in the jail. Like, Hey, this is what my sister and I used to do. Yeah. You mean the sister you killed? Uh, but yeah, the, the two women in this movie are, um, are murderers. They're killers. And, and most of the, the fun characters in this movie are terrible people. Yeah. Um, uh, granted, uh, in Roxy's case, she killed her lover because, uh, not because he was unfaithful. She was unfaithful to her husband, but because he says, come on, what do you, what do you think? I'm going to get you a big part in Hollywood. No, I'm here because you have a nice piece of ass. And she goes like, wait, what do you mean? I'm not going to get in. Uh, I'm not going to get in uh, on the, the, the big stage. I want to get into vaudeville, baby. I, I want to get into vaudeville, baby. And then uh, she gets pissed at him, grabs uh, a gun, and, and, and kills him in cold blood there. Uh, and then Velma Kelly catches her sister with her husband. husband yes. Yeah, and then kills them both in the bed. And then we also get um, another character who a very similar story who's played by... Um, oh, God. Uh, she was in Kill Bill. Uh, oh, oh, Lucy Liu's character. Lucy Liu, yes. Lucy Liu uh, comes and... She, she kills her husband and two other women uh, who are in the bed with, with him yes, at the she's time. Yes, she's a wealthy heiress. She comes in after, after uh, going out for the night. She comes in and finds that her husband is in bed with two other women. And she promptly pulls out a gun and shoots all three of them. Yes. And the crux of the plot of this is all of these women want the most publicity possible for the murder that they committed uh, with the help of uh, Richard Gere's character. But it's like Velma Kelly is the is the one, um, Catherine Zeta-Jones' Zeta character is the one who's in the limelight. Then Roxy's got a better story. Then Lucy Liu's got a better story. But then Roxy goes, no, I'm pregnant. And then everyone goes, oh shit, this poor girl. Uh, she's pregnant and in prison. She's a murderer. But no, you can't let a child be born in prison. So So it's all these women trying to get one up on each other. I have a better story. I have a better story. I have a better story. Uh, none of them are particularly good people, but they're still very fun to watch. And yes. and that is Chicago in a nutshell. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the, the, the movie's biggest flaw is that the, the story is very predictable. You know what's going to happen because you know who the protagonist is and how everything's going to work out for her. Um, I, I would say that this movie's strength and the reason that it probably took the win that year was it is impeccably crafted. All the dance numbers, all the production design, the songs, the music, they're beautifully put together and everything sort of sings together. Despite the fact that like Richard Gere, for example, is, is not the most interesting version of that character. I, I think that's ever existed on stage or on screen. No, uh, but even so, he does 
a a good enough job that you're not left feeling like oh this this aspect completely ruined the movie in fact i would say that the movie overall is um a a masterpiece so to speak but that could also be attributed to the fact that a good portion of the source material for it the original musical is a masterpiece. It's the second uh, longest running Broadway musical behind uh, Phantom of the Opera. So, I mean, it's it's amazing source material. If you're going to do a musical, you picked a great one to do. Um, the movie won that year. Also, Catherine Zeta-Jones won for Best Supporting Actress, and she deserves that uh, wholeheartedly. Even if there are other films that year that you're like, oh, those should have won instead of Chicago, Catherine Zeta-Jones has a um, an athleticism and a, uh, a star quality in this film that uh, is unmatched by any of her co-stars. Uh, Renee Zellweger is great in it. She, she's really, really great. But Catherine Zeta-Jones really shines in this film. Well, and it's interesting because uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones got her acting start um, in musicals on the West End. So it's, it's sort of full circle for her. Um, I, I, my connection with Catherine Zeta-Jones is how much I absolutely obsessed about her in the Zorro films. (laughs) But I mean, this was also the year like The Pianist, The Hours, Adaptation uh, came out. I mean, there was there was some big, big movies that that came out that year. But I mean, I think people just wanted a fun musical. I mean, that that just comes around once in a while. Like, yeah, just a really fun movie will will often win it. And this one is uh, expertly edited and um and the sound mixing on it is amazing it's a it's a fun movie if you've never seen the play chicago before uh this is uh you could you could find worse ways to watch uh chicago this one is is fantastic for a first time viewing Uh, i was a little jaded as a musical theater student but uh it is it is a good movie i was entertained all the way through i was a little bored because it like any musical it sort of meanders a little bit uh, and uh, we didn't even talk about uh, Michael C. Riley. Oh, John C. Riley. John C. Riley. John C. John C. Riley plays the husband of uh, Roxy, and he does the the cellophane, Mister Cellophane, uh, which he's great in it. But he's the most pitiable character in the whole thing. Well, in, in some ways, he's he is the most redeemable character, but you also can't sympathize with him too much because he just lets himself get walked over time and time again. At the end of her trial, there's a murder on the steps of the courthouse. Uh, one of the the ladies who's already murdered somebody murders her lawyer. And she's like, oh, take my picture. Doesn't anybody want to take my picture? And while she's talking, um, John C. Riley's character comes up and is like, uh, are you ready to go home? Uh, let's take care of the, this baby together. And of course, Roxy's like, are you stupid? There was never a baby. And it's just the saddest moment for this poor character. Okay. So I think uh, we we did all these pairings of films, right? And uh, and we, we picked the Broadway melody and Chicago together. And and we did it for, for a reason at the time. But I, I found a, a subtle connection between the two films that I did not expect, and I'd like to share with you now. Oh. Oh, mm. So this musical is based off of an actual play. Uh, that was, uh, the, the play is called Chicago, and the play was about 
1926 Broadway play about two real-life jazz-era murderers. Uh, Belula uh, Anan, who is the Roxy Hart character, and Belva Gertner, uh, who is the Velma Kelly character. Belula Anan uh, and Belva, so Belula and Belva were both jazz-era musicians. Belula's story is exactly the same as Roxy's. She was with her lover, and and they they both reached for the gun, and she ended up killing her lover in a spat. Now, this this Broadway play was made into a a movie, uh, a, a silent movie that came out in nineteen. Let me just get this right. In nineteen twenty seven. So they made a silent movie version of uh, of this story uh, in 1927, and the the woman uh, Gertner, who uh, is the Velma Kelly part, had a not a starring role but a cameo. Uh, so this the, the murderer, the woman who actually murdered her husband and uh, sister, ended up getting a cameo in the movie that was based off of her own life. So she was acquitted for the murder, then got to star in her own movie. And then died uh, some years later. But I just thought that was very interesting that very shortly after the Broadway melody, um, or shortly before the Broadway melody came out, the events of Chicago were actually taking place. That's interesting. I thought you were going to say that Bessie Love starred in the silent movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. Now that would have been a much better uh, connection. <laughs> but but no, the, the, the murders that uh, this was based on uh, happened just a couple years before the Broadway melody came out. I will say... Uh, the, the connection, the loose connection that I sort of saw while we were watching the Broadway Melody, having seen Chicago before, was that uh, I felt like it was the precursor to Chicago, where uh, Hank would be the Velma Kelly character who found out that her sister and her boyfriend slash husband was, were cheating together. <laughs> and so Hank was just going to kill them at the end. Blow your brains out, and I'm going to Schenectady. I can be a star there. Uh, but yeah, so those were the two movies we watched. Um, and and a, a loose connection between the two, but uh, this, this one's weird. It's, it's almost like we didn't need a, a guest this week because we knew which movie was going to win. Uh, and you prob- if you've listened this entire uh, way, you probably know as well, uh, constant listener. But... Um, Let's 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 take turns regardless. So, Sarah, which movie do you think deserves to go on to the next round this week? The Broadway Melody or Chicago? <laughs> well, considering that uh, I think only one of them qualifies as a full movie, uh, I, I'd have to go with Chicago. Oh, wait. Oh, there, there it is. <laughs> I had an applause queued up. Yeah, that's enough of that. <laughs> uh, um, I am going to go with, mm, yes, the actual movie that we watched, uh, Chicago. Uh, I, I actually had fun watching Chicago for uh, reasons that the filmmakers intended. Yeah, uh, it was purposeful. Like, the, the most of the choices in the movie... Uh, all the things you laugh at, all the things that your heart pulls at and everything, they were purposeful choices and it was executed with intention. 
Yes, unlike the Broadway melody, which all the fun I had in it was just how bad it was, so it just made me laugh a lot. And sure, I, if I was going to put Chicago and the Broadway melody next to each other, uh, the most fun I had watching a movie was for sure the Broadway melody. I, I was goofing on it the whole time. I was laughing. There were tears streaming down my face. But I can't in good conscience give it to Broadway Melody. It, it's a terrible, terrible film by today's standards. And uh, it will not hold up uh, against any other movie on this, on this series, uh, let alone Chicago, which is a fine movie. I personally don't think Chicago is going to go on very far in the, um, the lineup, but who knows? I guess uh, it, it just depends on what we pair it up with next. Yeah, if it gets paired up with another shitty movie, then it might go <laughs> on to the next round. But um, but I actually, I, I got I got something out of my watch of Chicago. I was entertained. It was a fine movie. I'll begrudgingly say, sure. Yeah, it goes on to the next round. <laughs> so what are we going to watch next week? I think we're going to watch uh, Deer Hunter and Platoon. Uh, both films, um, I believe we both haven't seen. Haven't seen them. Yeah, so uh, I haven't seen Platoon or Deer Hunter, uh, nor has Sarah. Uh, w- maybe we'll see if we can get RJ or, or another guest. Who knows? You'll just have to stay tuned and find out. But thank you for watching to the end of this episode. Uh, feel free to uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. We're putting up all of the episodes up there. Uh, you know, follow us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever great podcasts are found. Uh, Uh, But thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye.